0: you are the king. You reign over the entire world. And Lord, we, we pray that you will reign in our hearts as well. This morning we have talked about the work that you're doing in other parts of the world. We, we are sending off a, a family who's a part of our church family, but as they embark on a new season of life, we thank you, Lord, that in the places where they are going, in the places where they are serving, you are king there, just as you are king here in Nozaki County in Port Washington. But Lord, we also recognize that we live in a world where there is still rebellion against you, where people are not submitting to you yet as king. And so Lord, in light of that, I pray that today as we open the scripture, that you will help us to understand what it means to truly submit to you, to live with you as king of our hearts, and to make you known as king to those around us. And so we pray that you will be our teacher now, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, a little bit over a week ago, much of poor Washington lost power. And when a place loses power like that, it loses electricity, we suddenly realize how incredibly dependent we are on electricity. Because when the power goes out, your garage door does not open like usual. And when the power goes out, you cannot microwave your food. It is unwise to open the refrigerator you know, your, your air conditioner does not work anymore at that point. You can't see as well because light fixtures typically need electric power. And, and we realize that when there is no power, it is inconvenient, it is annoying, and at times it can even be dangerous. And the reason that it, for all this is because so much of what we use, the devices we use are so frequently designed to run on the power Electricity. Now, just as a microwave or a refrigerator or a light fixture or an air conditioner is designed to run the power of electricity, Christians are designed to run a particular power source as well. And our power source is the Holy Spirit. Christians cannot function in the way that God designed us to function if we are not empowered by the Holy Spirit. But this topic raises a number of questions and concerns in our minds. For instance, who is the Holy Spirit? What is the Holy Spirit all about? On top of that, we as humans are so prone to depending on ourselves, on our own wisdom, on our own strength, rather than depending on God. And on top of that, another complicating factor is just the question of how do we tap into the power of the Holy Spirit? Well, these are the topics we are looking at today. I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians started as a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to Christians in the city of Ephesus. And the book of Ephesians serves for us as a tremendous orientation manual for how to live the Christian life. And in fact, over the last few weeks, we've been seeing some very practical teaching about how to live. Whether it's how to love like God loves us. How to forgive As God forgave us. How we should handle anger and frustrations that we face in life. We have seen how how to deal with sexual topics. We have seen how to handle ministry topics. A lot of practical teaching. But teaching and commands, even from Scripture, as good as they are by themselves, do not supply us with the power to actually fulfill them. The power comes from the Holy Spirit. I invite you to follow along in your Bibles as I read Ephesians 5, verses 15 through 21. The Apostle Paul says, Look carefully, then, how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk on wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit." Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So Paul starts this passage by imploring us to live for God with wisdom and intentionality. And the reason we need to live with wisdom and intentionality is because we live in a world that will inevitably, if we're not careful, pull us away from God. That is why the Apostle Paul says the days are evil. That we live in a world that will pull us away from God. So we need care because if we are not careful, our lives will end up being shaped more by the world than by God. And if that happens, we're going to end up wasting our lives in light of eternity. And so that is why Paul says Make the best use of time. Understand what the will of the Lord is. And in terms of living with wisdom and intentionality, of, in terms of applying God's will to our lives, verse 18 here in this passage is key. In verse 18, the Apostle Paul says, Do not get drunk on wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Now Paul's main point in this passage is not the part about alcohol. Now, it is still a command, so you know what? Apply it. Don't get drunk. But Paul's main point in this passage is in the second half of the verse where he says, Be filled with the Spirit. Let the Holy Spirit empower your life. Now, this raises questions. First of all, who is the Holy Spirit? Now, notice how I phrase that question. Who is? Is the Holy Spirit. Not what is the Holy Spirit? Because the Holy Spirit is a who. The Holy Spirit is God. I mean, think of the Trinity Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all God three in one. The Holy Spirit is just as much God as God the Father is God and God the Son is God. Yet for many people the Holy Spirit is kind of this, this forgotten God, this this confusing part of God. So so who is the Holy Spirit? Well, the Holy Spirit is God's empowering presence living inside of Christians. Now, the Holy Spirit has a bigger role than just that, but for our lives, that is a primary role that he has, that he is God's empowering presence living inside of Christians. In the book of Ephesians, we first encountered the Holy Spirit back in chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, where Paul said that in Christ you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised holy spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. And so Paul says very clearly that when we believed in Christ, when we first placed our faith in Christ trusting in Christ alone for salvation rather than trusting in our religious works or our good deeds, at that point of coming to faith in Christ, God put the Holy Spirit inside of us. The Holy Spirit comes and takes up residence in us. And He is not there just to hang out. The Holy Spirit is not put inside of us just to be some get out of hell free card for when we die. No, the Holy Spirit is to have an active role in our lives. Jesus, just before He ascended to heaven, Acts chapter 1 verse 8, said that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Did you hear that? You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. That was written or that was spoken to Jesus' original disciples, but it still applies to us. Power from the Holy Spirit to live the lives and do the things that God is calling us to. Power. And here in verse 18 Paul is specifically focusing on, on the topic of control. What is in control of our lives? Paul says, Do not get drunk on wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. So it's, it's talking about the idea of control, whether it's getting drunk on alcohol or being filled with the Holy Spirit. Each of those are examples of submitting control of our lives to something outside of ourselves. Let's talk for a minute about the first half of this verse. Do not get drunk on wine. Now, when someone is drunk on alcohol, they are relinquishing control of themselves, at least to a degree, to something besides themselves. That's why people use the phrase there, under the influence of alcohol, because the alcohol is influencing them in a way that frequently will lower inhibitions in some way. Paul says that alcohol, if you were drunk on it, it can lead to debauchery. There are results from being controlled by alcohol. Now, debauchery, when was the last time you used the word debauchery in a conversation? For most of us, rarely, if ever. It's not a word we use very much, but the word debauchery is talking about what happens when our inhibitions lower as a result of being drunk. It's talking about how when someone is drunk and alcohol, they end up doing things or saying things that they would not normally do or say. And specifically, debauchery is talking about things that are associated with immorality, whether it's lewd conversations, whether it's just uh, immoral sexual behavior. It is much more prominent for someone when they are drunk than when they are sober. So when someone is drunk, Paul is saying, they are relinquishing control of their lives to something beyond themselves. And Paul then draws a parallel to the Holy Spirit. Do not get drunk on wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the spirit, So the idea of being filled with the Spirit is a significant contrast but still has some similarities to being drunk. Because when you're drunk, you're not in full control of yourself. You're yielding control to something else. And similarly, when you're filled with the Spirit, you're not fully having your hands on the driver's wheel yourself. You're saying, God, you take the wheel. God, I'm submitting control to you in this situation. And the results are the opposite of drunkenness. Because whereas drunkenness can lead in a downward spiral to debauchery, when we are filled with the Spirit, yielding control to Him, it leads us on the upward trajectory toward holiness and growing to be more like Jesus. So this is the idea of surrendering our lives to the power of the Holy Spirit. So to be filled with the Spirit is to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. We have to understand that when we are filled by the Holy Spirit, this filling terminology can confuse us a little bit because we think, oh, we're getting more of the Holy Spirit. That's not actually what happens. Because when we come to faith in Christ, we already have all the Holy Spirit that we need. We have all the Holy Spirit we're going to get. When a person is filled with the Holy Spirit, they are not getting more of the Holy Spirit. Instead, it's like the Holy Spirit is getting more of them as they surrender more of their lives to the Holy Spirit's control. Let me give you an illustration. Have a glass, have milk. See if I can do this without spilling the milk all over the carpet. All right. So in this analogy, this glass of milk represents your life. Let me put the lid on it to try to protect this thing. All right. So this glass of milk represents your life. You want some chocolate milk? So you're going to put in some chocolate. How much do you think? Like that? More? That good? Okay. There we go. So, now this glass of milk with some chocolate in it represents the life of a Christian after they come to faith in Christ. And that chocolate syrup represents the Holy Spirit. Now, If you were to drink this glass like this, is it going to taste much like chocolate milk? No. No. Does it look much like chocolate milk? No. No. I mean, you can see a little bit of chocolate down there in the bottom. But it it looks, it it would taste much like regular milk. The, The chocolate syrup is not having much influence in that glass of milk at this point. What do you have to do in order to make chocolate milk? Yes. I read your minds. I brought a spoon just for this very purpose. Now look what's happening. It's transforming right before our eyes. It's looking more like chocolate milk, isn't it? That's the type of chocolate milk that you want to drink. Because now it's obvious that is chocolate milk. It changed its appearance. It it changed its taste. And that's a picture of what should happen to our lives when we are filled with the Holy Spirit. That we look different. To the people around us. And even we taste different. Now, we're not talking about cannibalism. What we're talking about in terms of tasting different is that our attitudes, our actions, our words that people experience through us are changed as a result of the Holy Spirit being in control of our lives. Now, when we come to faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit comes and resides in us, just like there was chocolate syrup residing in this glass. But in order for the, the syrup, To influence the milk in order for the Holy Spirit to have a deep influence in our lives. it must be stirred up. We must be filled. Notice, I didn't add more syrup to make it like this. I just stirred it. And that's the idea of being filled with the Holy Spirit. So I want to come back to this passage now and make three observations about this idea of being filled with the Holy Spirit. First of all, being filled with the Holy Spirit in Ephesians 5.18 is a command. Paul says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's not optional. This is central to God's will for our lives. A second aspect I want to point out is that this, this command to be filled with the Holy Spirit is continuous. Continuous. Now, this is not as clear in our English translations, but if you read this verse in its original language, you would see that, that there are different types of verbs. We have different types of verbs here in the English language, but we probably don't think about it. We just speak them. It's the same in most other languages, including Greek. That, for instance, in the original Greek language, one of the main types of verb talks, to, talks about a one-time action. It's do this, and then you're done. But there's another type of verb in the Greek language that refers to a continuous action—one that, that just goes on and on and on. You, you don't stop it; it continues. Let me give you an example. Back in John chapter two, we see an example of a one-time verb. When Jesus, it's when he just before he turned water into wine, and he said to some servants, "Fill the jars with water." So fill the jars with water. That is an example of the tense of the verb. That's one time. It's not fill the jars over and over. It's just go fill the jars and then then you're good. Then Jesus will do his his miracle and the the water turning into wine. But that's a one time verb. Fill the jars with water. But if you were to read Ephesians five eighteen in the original language, you would see that it's not a one time verb. It's a continual verb. I mean, it's the same basic word fill in each time. But the fill in John chapter two is a one time verb here in Ephesians five. It's continuous. Continue. Go on being filled with the Holy Spirit moment by moment, day by day. So it's a command. It's continuous. Also, I think it's important to recognize that this command is actually passive on our parts. Be filled. It doesn't say fill yourself with the Holy Spirit. It says be filled. The main actor in this is not us. It's the Holy Spirit. We still have a responsibility, though. Our responsibility is to put ourselves in a position where we can be filled with the Holy Spirit. So that begs the question of how are we filled with the Holy Spirit? How does this happen? Well, if I were to give a one-word answer for how to be filled with the Holy Spirit, that word would be surrender. Surrender means, God, I'm going to relinquish control to you. It's like if we picture our lives as a car, and, and we uh, naturally, you know, we like to be in the driver's seat of our lives. We, we like to be the ones in control. But surrender, the process of becoming filled with the Holy Spirit, giving Him control, means we are giving up the driver's seat of our lives. But as long as we are insisting and holding on to that steering wheel, it is impossible for the Holy Spirit to take full control of our lives. We have to be willing to surrender control to God. Because that is the process of being filled with the Holy Spirit. So the call here is to actively surrender yourself to God. Now, it's, it, it's, it is passive in the sense of it's really the power coming from the Holy Spirit that, that is, is shaping us, that's filling us, that's controlling us. But we still have a responsibility to surrender control to him. And one of the ways that I've heard described about actively surrendering control to God is through a process that can be known as spiritual breathing. Spiritual breathing is kind of like regular breathing. In the sense of regular breathing, you exhale, which gets rid of the the air that's in in your body that has a little bit less oxygen than when it came in. And then you inhale. That's the other side of breathing. When you inhale air that has oxygen that your body's going to use and stuff like that. And spiritual breathing is, is kind of similar. It's a metaphor Where we exhale, when we realize that there is some sin that we have committed, when we realize that there's some aspect of our life that we are controlling, that that we have not surrendered yet, exhaling in spiritual breathing is the idea of confessing sin to God. And typically that takes place through prayer. But then inhaling, on the other hand, is surrendering control to Him. It's by prayer saying, God... I, wanna, I, I confess, I, I did this wrong. I, I've been in control of this part of my life too long. God, I want to surrender this to you. So you exhale the sin, you inhale the idea of surrender. And Holy Spirit, I want to give you control of the situation. This is just a practical exercise that you can implement if you choose that can help to, to surrender control in an active way, in a conscious, intentional way, on a, on a moment-by-moment daily basis. I mean, for instance, if you re- realize a situation where you are getting really angry, you're getting really impatient, and you realize, you know what, my words and my actions, and my attitude, they are not in the right place right now. They are not honoring God right now. The practice of spiritual breathing can be very helpful. Because we, we confess to God, God, I'm struggling here. God, I've just said some things, or I've, I've used facial expressions or body language that is not honoring to you and not helpful for the situation. God, I confess this to you. Please forgive me for this. And Lord, I want to surrender control of the situation to you. Not my will, Lord, but yours be done. Holy Spirit, please come. Take control of my life. I want to surrender to your will, not just exert my own. That's the idea of by faith and through prayer, surrendering to God. Seeking to allow the Holy Spirit to control you rather than you controlling yourself. And the key is, is surrendering, whether it's through an active process of, of like this idea of spiritual breathing or just, just through prayer, saying, God, I want to surrender to you. The key is doing that on a regular basis. Now, every week, here's a little background on the process I go through in preparing sermons. Every week as I'm preparing my sermon, I ask myself this question. Why, why do people need to hear this sermon? Because until I can answer that question clearly, I'm not ready to get up here and talk because I don't want to waste your time. I don't want to waste my time. I want to know why do people need to hear this? And that's more than just, well, let's just walk through this and explain what's going on in the Bible. It's it's, why do people need this? And this week as I was pondering that question, I became convinced that Christians need to know about the power source that's available to us through the Holy Spirit. You know, when um, when there is an electrical power outage, it is obvious. I mean, it's obvious. Everyone knows the power is out when the electricity is off. I think of just a week and a half ago when the electricity was off here, Chris Attella, our worship team leader, she put out there on Facebook, no power at work today, and my computer battery is about done. Does anyone local know of places with free Wi-Fi that do have power? I mean, she put that out there on the Internet, just wondering, okay, who out there has power? Where can I find some power? Why? Because her computer required electricity in order to function correctly. It required electricity. It's obvious that a computer or another device that needs to be plugged into the wall, it requires electricity. But for many Christians, it's not as obvious when they lack spiritual power. Because as Christians, it's very easy just to go through the motions of being religious. It's very easy to go through the motions of going to church and to be reading the Bible even and to be praying on a regular basis, which are good things. But it's easy to be doing these things in a way that is dependent more on ourself than on God. As I said earlier, the the commands and the teaching of Scripture are great, but they do not have power in and of themselves to transform us. And God is not looking at us to generate our own spiritual power to be transformed. He wants to supply that power for us through his Holy Spirit as we depend on him. Now, in this passage, as we wrap up, we see that there are results from being uh, controlled by the Spirit, results of the Spirit-filled life. There are three of them that Paul lists here. One result, his wholehearted singing. He says, Be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Sing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. I mean, it's kind of an interesting thing to think about. Wholehearted singing could be connected to being filled with the Holy Spirit. But it is, and it's interesting to see the singing that it's talking about. It's addressing God. I mean, sing to the Lord. But it's also addressing one another. When we sing together as a church family here on Sunday mornings, we're not just praising God, we're also singing basically to one another, instructing one another, encouraging each other in the truths of the gospel. Challenging each other to, to be committed to Christ, to grow, to make Him our Lord and King. It's kind of a cool thing. He says, addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Now, I think back to when I was a teenager. I grew up going to church with my family. I did not like singing. And I recognize that for some people, singing is not something they enjoy, especially singing in church. Maybe singing in the shower, singing in the car, but not in church. I did not like singing. I remember one time the pastor asked my parents, why doesn't Brandon sing? So they they asked me, why don't you sing? I don't like to sing. For me, there was a change, though. I like to sing now. The change was when I got serious about Jesus. When I was about 20 years old, got serious about Jesus. And I was not a good singer. I'm still not a great singer. I always tell people in nursing homes that I have to lead the cappella when I'm leading a nursing home chapel. The church does not hire me to sing. (laughs) But we still make a joyful noise. But I enjoy singing because this is an expression of worship to God. And when we are living with God, with the Holy Spirit on the throne of our lives, it gives us wholehearted devotion and singing. That's why Paul says, sing to the Lord with, with your heart, wholeheartedly. That's the result of living a Spirit-filled life. Now the result is, is consistent with gratitude. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father. When, when the Holy Spirit is on the throne of our lives, It gives us gratitude that, yeah, our circumstances may go up and down, but the Holy Spirit being on the throne of our lives reminds us, you know what, there are so many blessings that come from God all the time, so many blessings in the gospel. And for those, in addition to other circumstances, we always have reasons to be thankful. And and another uh, result of being filled with the Spirit is mutual submission. Verse 21 says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, certainly, there are relationships that have an order in them still in this world. But the idea of submitting to one another has to do with our attitude of humility. As Paul says in Philippians 2, Do not look only to your own interests, but look also to the interests of others. Uh, Have the same mindset of Christ Jesus. And it talks about, um, again, looking not only to your own interests, also to the interests of others. Doing nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. And so this attitude of humility, of respect, of listening to others, of prioritizing their interests, not only our own, that is one of the other results of the Spirit-filled life. And there are certainly other results as well. The most famous list is in Galatians 5. It says the fruit of the Spirit. So these are the results. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, I mean, who doesn't want to live with love and joy and peace and all those other things? The way we do that is not merely by working harder. The way we do that, the God-appointed way, is to surrender to God. Surrender to the control of the Holy Spirit and let the Holy Spirit empower these through us. So let the Holy Spirit empower your life. And many of you know I like bicycling. And I thought about the analogy of how my favorite time of bicycling is when I'm biking with a strong tailwind. If my only biking, I was thinking about this this, over the last few days, if I only was able to bike into a strong headwind, I don't think I'd bike anymore. It's too hard. It's no fun. Um, I like biking with a strong tailwind. And because when you're biking with a strong tailwind, you fly. Um, I mean, I don't know if you know this, but when you're biking at a pretty good rate of speed, um, 80 to 90% of your energy is spent overcoming wind resistance. That's why on a bike the wind makes such a big difference. Biking with the wind at your back is such a joy. I mean, it's exhilarating. It's one of my favorite things to do is to bike with a strong tailwind. I mean, I'm still working hard, but the hard work doesn't even feel like hard work because of the exhilaration of just flying down the road because of that wind at your back. I don't want to push that analogy too far. But at the same time, I think it's a good picture of the fact that that when we have the Holy Spirit empowering us as we try to live out what God's calling us to do, it becomes a joy. Yeah, there's still a responsibility we have in the process. But we do it, again, with joy, with exhilaration. It's fun to live for God when the Holy Spirit's on the throne. When we are trying to hold on that steering wheel, it's not as much fun. We get disillusioned, we get frustrated, we get worn out. But when the Holy Spirit is in control, it's joy. A.W. Tozer, a pastor back in the mid-1900s, said, The Spirit-filled life is not a special deluxe version of Christianity. It is part and parcel of the total plan of God for His people. This is to be how we live as Christians, tapping into the power source of the Holy Spirit living inside of us so that we can live the life that God's calling us to live and do so joyfully. We've been saying throughout the series that Ephesians is all about gospel truths that lead to gospel living. Today, a glorious gospel truth that we're celebrating is that God puts the Holy Spirit inside of us when we come to faith in Christ in order to empower us to live the life God is calling us to live. So we don't have to depend on ourselves, but we depend on God, and He gets the glory for it. Let's pray. Our Lord, we thank you that you redeem us through Jesus And that you don't leave us as orphans just out here to fend for ourselves for the rest of our lives. But that you deposit in us the Holy Spirit to transform us from the inside out. So then, as we seek to follow your commands and live in the way you call us to live, it's not behavior modification. It's spiritual transformation that is empowered by the Holy Spirit, not by ourselves. And so, Lord, I pray that you will do a work in our lives, empowering us to be transformed. That you will soften our hearts that we will submit to your work in us, submitting to the work of the Holy Spirit rather than just trying to take control for ourselves. So, Lord, help us to submit to you and have joy as we do so so that you will be worshiped with the the wholeheartedness that you deserve. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.